Well, what a glorious night. If you guys have your Bibles, would you open up to the book of Hosea? And we will continue our journey through the book of Hosea. If you remember, first three chapters, the first section of the book of Hosea, and it lays out for us illustration that the rest of the prophecies that we're going to be looking at that Hosea gave, uh, both as a warning to Israel and to Judah, um, they illustrate, those things were illustrated in the story of Hosea's life. Okay, so the, the issues that the Lord's going to bring up, their unfaithfulness and so forth, is going to, to relate back across. So we'll try to point those things back so we don't lose track of what the illustration of Hosea's life uh, was all about. In chapters 4 and 5, Hosea is going to, to focus in on one of the primary problems for the nation of Israel, and that is that there was no knowledge of God. And the word that he uses, we'll see here in just a moment, the word he uses is for an intimate knowledge. It's just like what you would, if we looked up the old King James, right, and it says uh, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she bore him a son. The concept is more than just intellectual uh, comprehension of, but a, a relationship, a reality of a, of a, uh, a loving relationship taking place between uh, the Lord and his people. So it starts with this. He starts with a call to the people to hear the word of the Lord. We see it in chapter 4, verse 1, and chapter 5, verse 1. It says, in 4, 1, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There's no faithfulness, steadfast love, or knowledge of God in the land. This is a charge in chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1 begins with his attention focused on the spiritual leadership of the nation. In 5, 1, he says, Hear this, O priests, pay attention, O house of Israel, give ear, O house of the king, for this judgment is for you, for you have been a snare at Mizpah and a net spread upon Tabor. So the call from God through the prophet to the people to be uh, paying attention. Hear the word of the Lord. One of the fundamental characteristics of a believer, a follower of Christ, is a desire to grow in the word, to understand the word, to know the word, to hear the word. A lot of times people ask or will, will ask questions about you know, the Lord speaking to them or giving them direction. And that's going to come more often than not by being in God's word, by allowing the word of God to wash over you, allowing his word to cleanse our minds and our focus, bring our focus to him. And so the nation, the call to the nation. Now, most of the time <clears throat> when the prophet would call the nation to listen to the word of the Lord, the people didn't want to listen. And this case is no different. Israel still exists. If you remember, Hosea is prophesying during the divided kingdom. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Ten tribes north, basically two tribes south. Judah and Benjamin to the south, everybody else to the north. Now what really happens is that all the people in the north who want to worship God, they have to go where? 
They got to go south. They got to come to the temple, right? So they're going to come to the temple. Now, Jeroboam, when the nations divide, Jeroboam is going to put a golden calf at the north end of Israel. You guys remember the golden calf from Genesis? That was a bad thing, wasn't it? So you have the, you have the golden calf uh, north and you have the golden calf to the south. And so we have this. This was the attitude of the northern kingdom. Not one king of Israel, the, the ten northern tribes, ever wanted to follow the Lord. They were all interested in power and authority and keeping the people controlled. And that's what they used the religion for there. Today, if you go to Israel, we travel up to Dan in the north part of Israel. And you can still see the, the um, altar where the altar stood with the golden calf on it in Dan, the northern part of Israel. So the remnants of, of these things are still there. So <clears throat> they, the northern kingdom is not going to hear. So you're going to hear times where the prophet Hosea points his attention to Judah because Israel's not listening and Israel's rushing headlong into judgment. And so they're going to face judgment of Assyria and be conquered 150 years earlier than Judah. So there, there are times when Isaiah, Isaiah does the same thing. Isaiah is prophesying to the northern kingdom, but he's going to warn the south, hey, don't, don't make the same mistakes that the northern kingdom is making. Uh, we know 150 years later, they go into captivity to Babylon. The other thing that you want to kind of wrap your mind around is that northern kingdom that's being prophesied to here by Hosea becomes the Samaritans, right? They're going to conquer the northern kingdom. They're going to, they're going to take the people away in exile to Assyria. They're going to intermarry with a bunch of other people, and they're going to come back to the northern kingdom, be planted once again. They're going to build their own temple, have their own mountain, have their own Bibles that they create not like the, the, the Bibles of the southern kingdom. They're going to change some things in the Old Testament. They, they kind of intermix a bunch of things. And so the, you, you develop the hatred between the national Jew and the Samaritans because they're going to view the Samaritans as those who have made all these, um, um, what, what's the right word? Uh, I don't know. You should be able to speak English. I don't know. You know I'm looking for a word. It don't matter. It'll come to me when I get home. Three. Three syllables. Yes. Compromise will work. We'll take that one. Bam. Compromise. They're going to make all these compromises. Now, this is, this is another thing that we need to keep our eyes on because the illustration of Hosea was his unfaithful wife, and she's going to run off, and she's going to be used by all these people, but one day Hosea is going to go back and get her and bring her back, right? Now, I don't want you to lose sight of the truth of that reality of the illustration and the fact that when Jesus was here ministering to the nation of Israel, he went to Samaria. You remember. He said, I, I have to go there. And a great revival broke out there. So there you have the picture of God, right, reaching out for, for those who had in, in, in ages past been lost, been taken by the nations. And, and you see at least the beginning 
perhaps, of God's ability to redeem the failures of men. So we see a little. So he says, we need to hear the word of the Lord. We've got to keep our eyes focused on what God says. The second thing, God says, I have a problem with you. Every, if you look at the book of Revelation, there's some neat parallels, but if you look at the book of Revelation, particularly chapter two and three, you have seven letters to seven churches. And this phrase in Hosea four, verse one, where it says the Lord has controversy with you is like the letters to the, each of the seven churches where the Lord says, I have this against you. And he lays out what the issue is. You know, here's the thing. And then usually at the, toward the end of the letter, the Lord calls the people to repent of that, right? And return to him. And so we see the same thing happening here through Hosea. He's going to tell us why does he have controversy? There's three main issues. Look at it. It says, O children of Israel, the Lord has controversy with the inhabitants of the land. One, there's no faithfulness. So the people are not faithful. They're not walking in truth. Two, there's no steadfast love. Steadfast love, the Hebrew word chesed. It means to be long-suffering or to be forgiving or to provide mercy. So they have no faithfulness, no steadfast love. And finally, there's no real faith there. They have no knowledge of God. Those are God's three main issues. No faithfulness, no steadfast love, no knowledge of God in the land. That's with the northern kingdom. He goes on to describe it a little more in depth. Verse 2, there is swearing. Now that word for swearing is uh, the idea of cursing others. It's not like they just decided to use bad words. They are putting curses on their neighbors they are they are wanting to curse those around them which usually is an attitude being birthed out of them of of hatred or bitterness for the people around them <clears throat> so that's what it means by swine uh, i'm sorry by swearing the second one they're they're deceiving they're lying the third thing they murder they want to they want to destroy one another uh, the next one they're stealing They disrespect each other's property to include their families and wives because the next one is committing adultery. Uh, They break all all bounds. They break all bounds. They disregard, literally it means they break out. They just disregard authority. They're rebellious. They won't follow any form of authority and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Now, just take a minute and think about that list and where we live today. Maybe not necessarily Buell, but the nation we live in, it's not very hard not to see a parallel, right, between the attitudes of, the, of them and, the, and those days. And so the Lord is saying to the northern kingdom through Hosea, I have a problem with you. I have a problem with you. Those smaller details are all nailed down into the three things. There's no faithfulness. There's no steadfast love, mercy, or forgiveness, and there's no knowledge of God. So there, because of that, all these other things, this is the harvest of that which they are planning. So then the Lord tells them, what's the consequence of that? Verse 3, therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, even the fish of the sea. 
are taken away. The point is that when a, a, a nation goes into a period like this of outright rebellion against God, the next thing that turns off is God's blessing on the land. So the land stops performing. So you, you have beasts of the field that are suffering, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. The idea is all of nature is responding to the wickedness of the nation. And so the Lord is bringing the ruin of the land. This is a consequence. What are the consequences of those things we talked about? One, the ruin of the land. Verse four, uh, yet let no one contend and let none accuse for with you is my contention, O priest. So now Hosea is pointing to the spiritual leadership of the land. And it's important that we understand God is up there going, you know, the wicked people act like wicked people because they're wicked people. But what are my people doing? What's going on with the, with the spiritual leadership of the land? Are, they, are, you, are you teaching? Are you are you calling for repentance or what are you doing in, in that place? So he says, my contention is with you, O priest, you shall stumble by day and the prophet also shall stumble with you by night and I will destroy your mother. So here's what he's saying. The consequences they face, a ruin of the land of spiritual leadership. So the voice that the spiritual leaders have goes away. So people won't listen to prophets. The priests lose whatever authority they have. They're, they're not respected. They're disrespected by the land. So because they're not losing, because they're not using their voice for God, God takes their voice away. So if they wanted to use their voice, it's gone. Their rulers will fall and be rejected. And then that last phrase, I will destroy your mother. He's talking about the nation. Right? He's talking about Israel. Who's the mother of them all? The nation of Israel. I'm going to, I'm going to destroy your mother. So what happens to the northern kingdom? They're going to go away. Israel's going to cease to exist. Back at the Assyrian kingdom. And Judah back in the Babylonian. So this is part of the consequences they face uh, for the lack of the knowledge of God among their people. Verse 6, he goes on. My people are destroyed, he says, for what? For lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. So again, Hosea's, the people are, are facing the judgment for the failure of the, the uh, authority of their day from not doing their job, from not fulfilling their part. Think of it like this. The Bible tells us in Ezekiel uh, chapter 3, and there's another one, but where God, through Ezekiel, calls the people, the leaders of the people, to be watchers on the wall. What was a watcher on the wall supposed to do? Sound the horn, warn the people of God's judgment over the wickedness and sin and the need for repentance. So they were to do that. Now, there's a lot of things we can get busy about doing and thinking is important, but the Lord's call to the religious leadership of the time of Hosea's time was, hey, you need to be sounding the trumpet, warning the people, telling them to turn from the direction that they're in. When Jesus was looking over the disciples and he's, his return to 
to the Father is imminent, right? He's, he's getting ready to ascend back into the heavens in, in his, uh, the parables and the teachings that he's giving to his disciples. He challenges them to occupy until I come. He gives a commission. Go into all the world making disciples, right? Of it. How many? Every nation, right? So where, and what's that role intend? Uh, uh, baptizing them, teaching them about Christ, and understanding that he is with us even to the end of the age, right? No matter what happens, the Lord is with us. So there are marching orders that have been delivered to the disciples that I would, I would argue aren't that much different from what was called of the Old Testament believers either, to be a watcher on the wall, to sound the trumpet, to encourage people who are in sin to repent and to follow the Lord. Uh, there's a point in the Gospel of Mark where it says that, that uh, the Lord God has commanded all men everywhere to repent and believe. So to turn from our sin and turn to Christ. So we, this, this was a judgment then on the leadership, those who were responsible for doing that in Israel, and God saying, because of this, your leadership will fail. Anybody ever feel like we have a lack of leadership in the United States? And, and so a lot of times when we think about that, right, we want to think about how they've failed and how they're not. But, but maybe some of that, right, is, a, is an, an issue with God's people. Are we doing our part? Are we willing to be like that Old Testament prophet who stood on a corner and the people didn't like him much. But he said, repent. Repent. Now, you don't have to be weird and say, repent, the end is near. You know, you could be a little less weird. You could, but the point is to be involved, right? Engaged. And one of the, one of the, one of the issues with our nation, my view, one of the issues with our nation is, Believers for the last, I don't know, let's, let's just say my whole time. So let's say the last 20 or 30 years, we're not, we have not stayed as engaged in politics. We have not stayed as engaged in the laws of the land, being involved in trying to make sure that there are Christian principles and ideals that are things that are followed in this land. We surrendered ground, maybe for the sake of peace, maybe for the sake of getting along, but how's that working? It's not working good, right? And eventually we're going to find ourselves in a little corner somewhere with trying to occupy until we see Christ again. We, we need to, I think, we need to stop surrendering. But one of the things we see in Hosea's prophecy is because of the lack of uh, of willingness to be obedient to the call that God gave them, one of the judgments God gave them was bad rulers. <laughs> bad rulers and uh, the rejection of the religious leaders. So the religious leaders that are trying to do something are facing severe opposition because maybe because of the ground that had been surrendered. Look at what he says in verse 6. My people destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, 
then I will forget your children. Because you have forgotten the law of the Lord. So the idea, we, ha- we can't lose sight. Every time I say the word law, people, I can't change this. We all think of the Ten Commandments and thou shalt nots and 613 commands. But here's what you need to get your mind around. The word for law is the word Torah. And the story of Torah is God gives us directives and we fail. God gives us more directives, we fail. God gives directives, we fail. There's a pattern, right, where we're not able to keep the commandments of God. That's looking forward to a new covenant that's coming in Christ. So the Lord is saying, he's laying out for them, because you've rejected, you've forgotten. They're not, it's not that God's law is coming and it's, and it's hard and they're failing, but they're trying to please God. He says, you forgot them. You don't care. You, it's not like you woke up in the morning and said, how can I please the Lord today? You didn't even think about the Lord today. This is the, the charge that he's making. They forgot the law, the lesson that we need God if we're going to be uh, able to be successful in what he's asking us to do. That's not a lesson we only learn in the New Testament. It's also a lesson that we see in the Old, that we need the empowerment of God to be the king we need to be, or the prophet we need to be, or the man we need to be, or the soldier we need to be, right? All of those stories tell that, but they had forgotten the law. They had forgotten God. Uh, they had turned their way. So he said, the more they, uh, the more they increased, the more they sinned against me. So I will change their glory into shame. So the, the more God blessed them, the more there was blessing, the land was fruitful, times were good. What happens? People forget God. And they, the, whole, the whole point of the book of Judges, right? In those days, every man did was right in his own heart. And there was no king in Israel. There was no authority. So it wasn't as though they were following the authority of God. They were their own God. And it led them into a time of rebellion. So here, the Lord is saying, look, I'm, I'm changing their glory into shame. So the things that they used to glory about, how great uh, the nation was, how fruitful the nation was, how he says, I'm changing all that. That's going to be their shame. It'll be, what a shame. Look what happened to this nation. That sound vaguely familiar? So these are the consequences that they face. Look at verse 8. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. They're greedy for sin. It's not like the point that God's making is, look, it's not like you guys are trying and failing. I'm not even a consideration. You're running as fast as you can toward the sin. You want to feed on it. You're greedy for sin. Verse 9, and it shall be like people, like priests. So the spiritual leadership of the nation is a mirror of the people. The spiritual leadership becomes a mirror of the people. They One like the other. So he says, I will punish them for their ways and uh, repay them for their deeds and they shall eat. And not be satisfied. They will play the whore, but there will be no, they will not multiply because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, 
and new wine, which take away understanding. So he's saying, look, all their, their, their focus is sin. So the Lord says they're going to eat and not be satisfied. That things are not going to progress. They're not growing. They're not rising above uh, these things. Rather, they are, uh, they are finding emptiness. Emptiness in all the things they think are important. They're chasing them, but they're not satisfied. They're looking for sexual gratification, but there's no sexual gratification and no multiplication. The, the people are failing. The number of the people are failing. And why is that? Because they have forsaken the Lord so they could cherish their sin. They turn from God to sin. That's the opposite of repentance. So repentance is turning from our sin to God. The judgment on these people is they have forsaken the Lord for their sin. So what's the result of their idolatry? These are the consequences that they face. The Lord is talking about here's, here's what the future looks like. So what's the result of their idolatry? Look at verse 12. My people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them oracles. So you understand the Lord is saying, this is kind of funny, but you're, you're not seeking me for help, the living God, but you will go into the woods, cut down a tree, chop a chunk off, carve it into a figure of a God, and think that's a gateway to speak to your God. And you're seeking counsel from these chunks of wood that you have created. Uh, he says, for a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. Again, the picture of, of uh, infidelity to God is always talking about idolatry. So here's the Lord their God meant to be the one whom they go to for help and service. And when they go to someone else, the Lord says, you're cheating on me. You've left me. And so uh, he, will, he will use the phrase, You're, you have a spirit of whoredom, you've gone to play the whore. Verse 13, they sacrifice on the tops of mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. And so their daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. Now what he's describing, sacrifice on top of the mountains, every ancient city, the mountain tops were what was used for their temples. It's where they would make their offerings. It's where they would participate in their idolatry. And so the picture that he's drawing is they're not going up there to make offerings or sacrifices to him. They're going up there to participate in these uh, pagan festivals and, and idolatry. And that's what their children are learning. And so that's what their children are going to do. And so generation after generation is going to uh, fall being sacrificed uh, to the council of idols. Uh, he says in verse 14, I will not punish uh, your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. And the people without understanding come to ruin. So they lost their knowledge of God. The natural progression of that state is to enter into consequences that we talked about earlier. Those are the natural consequences that result when we reject the Lord. 
And so he, he says now in verse 15, Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Remember I told you there are times a prophet speaking to Israel in the hopes that Israel might repent and turn from their sin. Though he's speaking to Israel, he's also going to warn Judah. Hey, Judah, don't follow the example of your sister. He's going to use, you know, these kind of word pictures to describe the, the struggle that's happening between the two nations. He says, enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to Beth-Avon and swear not as the Lord lives. Now, so he says, here are some places to avoid. These are all places that were set up as uh, centers of idolatry in the northern kingdom. You have, he says, stay away from Gilgal. Now, Gilgal had a, a, a religious significance in the conquering of the nation. It was like base camp when Joshua's coming in to, to build the nation in the beginning. But now it has become a place to avoid. And then they changed the name of Bethel to Beth-Avon. Bethel means house of God. But at Bethel, Jeroboam set up the other golden calf. So he calls Bethel, Beth-Avon. Bethel means the house of God. Beth-Avon means the house of trouble. So he says, stay away from the house of trouble. You know the place that Jacob named when he slept there and had a dream that the Lord was with him. And he said, man, the Lord was with me and I didn't know it. I'll call this place Bethel, the house of God. There was significance to these places that there was victory and there was the presence of God and there was all these things. But through a time of neglect, through a time of rebellion, they, they lose all significance to the point where God says, don't go there. Don't be in those places. Don't be a part of that. He says in verse 16, for like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Lord, now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture. He's saying, look, you're a stubborn heifer. Now, I don't know hardly anything about cattle, nor am, do, am I interested in learning anything about cattle. When I was a kid, we, we tried to tip them over. That's all we ever did. And I don't even know that I ever did that right. So, but I understand the point of stubborn animals. And so he says, like a stubborn heifer, that this is um, the attitude they have. Israel is stubborn, a stubborn heifer. Won't go where she needs to go. Won't do what you're trying to do, fighting against you. You're trying to do something to feed or to help or to care for, and they fight you away. So then the question is asked, a rhetorical question, when they're like this, can the Lord feed them like a lamb? So a rhetorical answer always demands a negative response right so the lord can the lord feed him well no he can't because they are stubborn rebellious moving against him fighting against the lord so how can the lord feed them verse 17 so ephraim is joined to idols leave them alone when their drink is gone they give themselves to whoring their rulers dearly love shame so it's like the things that the rulers are doing are they should be ashamed of, but instead of being ashamed, they're trying to outdo one another by doing more shameful things. It's crazy how much that's like watching the news. 
you know, about, about things that are shameful and weird. And why? What, what is the deal with all this, all this twisted stuff? And then you, you look at the scripture and you see that history repeats itself. And you see God's judgment on a northern kingdom for their rebellion that's similar. Right? We can, we can certainly see similarities. They love their shame. Verse 19, a wind has wrapped them in its wings and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. So they're, they're being carried away. I don't know a better way to describe. I, I honestly am pretty blown away by the amount of stupidity I can see on any given day uh, online and the internet. People who should be smart. You know, they went to school, they got degrees, they should be smarter than me, and I'm thinking, I never heard of things so dumb all my life. And if I just shout louder, then I must be saying the truth, you know, if I can out-shout you. And, uh, you know, every time you disagree with somebody, it's because you're white or a racist or some other thing, right? There's, there's just this, the, and the, the Bible says what's happened is, They've been carried away by their idolatry. And so the wind, now the wind of their rebellion and choices uh, against God is carrying them this, to, to places they never believed they would go. I'm sure many of those people, if you asked them five, seven, eight, ten years ago, they didn't have the same opinions they have now. But the wind has caught them. And they're being... Uh, they're being driven by their own idolatry. So the judgment goes on. He says in, in chapter 5, verse 1, So hear this, O priest. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. So the, the challenge from Hosea to the kings, the prophets would always go to the house of the kings and call them and say, Hey, you can turn this around. You can change the direction that we're in. So the challenge to them, hey, you can turn this around for this judgment is for you. We're telling you this message so that you can hear it and there can be a response. There can be a response to what's going on. For you have been a snare at Mizpah and a net uh, spread upon Tabor and the revolters have gone deep in the slaughter. But I will discipline all of them. The character of God is just. And if we run far enough down the road, God will respond in perfect, holy, righteous justice. We also call that wrath. But it's holy, and it's true, and it's right. But always before justice and wrath comes the call for repentance. Turn from your sin, he would say to Israel. Turn, why should you be destroyed? Why do you want to face these things? Turn, return to me, and I will uphold you. These are the promises that the Lord gives, but rather he's letting them know, listen, before destruction, I will rebuke you. And that's what he's doing to the leaders. I'm rebuking you. If you respond, 
you can, you can respond before destruction comes. Verse 3, I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. For the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. So they have been so caught up in their idolatry, they don't even recognize the voice of God anymore. So the Lord says, I'm calling you, but you don't even know me anymore. You don't know who I am. You're so far down the road. Still, God calls to them, but you're so far down the road, you you won't respond. So who's the message for? Sometimes my oldest son just was bent on receiving a beating. But it always uh, served as a warning to my middle son. And my younger son, they could, could, they could get one too, right? I'm an equal opportunity uh, whooping giver. <laughs> but sometimes they learn, right? Oh, I'm not going to do that. JC talked back. Cole was sneaky. JC, would, he was full of emotion. He's my oldest. And he would, he would often, his mouth would engage and, and he'd get in trouble. And Cole was quiet. So he looked at his brother and was like, I ain't saying that. I'm thinking it. And I might walk away and whisper it so you can't hear me. I'm not saying it wasn't in there. But it didn't come out because of the things he saw. So here you see the same thing. Look at verse 5. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim will stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with him. Now the Lord knows Judah's going to fall 150 years later. Right? They're, they're on the path too, but they're not as far along. So the, the, um, the judgment that comes upon Israel serves as a warning for Judah uh, that, they, that they could respond to. Now, this is what I learned as a parent. My children all wanted beat. Every night. If it was time to go to bed, maybe you guys had girls. I didn't have no girls. I have one girl now. I, I'm, so far, I'm not beating her. <laughs> She's probably too old for that now. But the, uh, my boys, it, I'd say, time for bed. And it would begin. The fighting and the crying and the whining. And I'd tell them, just go to bed. You don't have to be spanked tonight. And they'd carry on, carry on, carry on, carry on till then there's all crying. Everybody's got the belt put to their backside. They're all crying in their room. And I'm sitting in the other room thinking, why? Why? Every night. Why? Every night, right? And so I'm sure the Lord is the same way, looking at the people going, I, I know you're going to do it too. I know you're going to you're gonna do it too, but I'm going to make sure the prophets express this so that you, in the day of judgment, won't be able to say, but Lord, you never told us. You never warned me. So he's going to do that. Verse 6, he says, uh, With their flocks, their herds, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him, for he has withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they have borne alien children, now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Sound the alarm at beth Aven. We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation. 
in the day of punishment among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. So he's saying, look, the Lord has withdrawn. And they earlier, he said, you, don't, you can't even recognize my voice. You don't even know who I am. You don't know who I am. So he's saying, though they would come after me, I'm not there now. I've left. There's a time in Ezekiel when Ezekiel is prophesying and he says to hang a sign over Jerusalem. And the sign is Ichabod. You guys heard that before, huh? Sounds like a guy with a headless horseman or something. Well, that has nothing to do with this story. Ichabod means the glory has departed. So Ezekiel is in Babylon. The glory of God, which was in the temple, leaves Jerusalem and goes to Babylon to call Ezekiel. And Ezekiel looks up and he says, Lord, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be back there. And the Lord says, the glory has departed. I'm not there anymore. The next time the glory of the Lord is in Jerusalem, his name is Jesus Christ, and he's cleansing the temple. And he tells them, my father's house will be a house of prayer. Right? But they reject him. So he's going to say then, see to you, your house is left to you desolate. It's not my house anymore. It's just an empty box. So the Lord, he's not there, refusing to accept their hypocritical attempts at worship. In verse 10, the, the princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment, because he was determined to go after filth. But I am like a moth to Ephraim and like dry rot to the house of Judah. So the Lord, a moth is like an unclean thing. Like they see God and they're like, oh, get out of here. They want the moth out. You get it? You're like dry rot. Oh, look, we found dry rot. We need to get that dry rot out. The Lord says, that's how you see me. And all of that is going to, to uh, help, um, help us understand the truth. For Judah, if you follow the same path, you'll end up in the same place. Right? The road goes where the road goes. So, uh, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the king. But he's not able to cure you. So he's saying, Judah, when Judah sees they're in trouble, they try to, to, to reach out to Assyria for help. And God, what are you reaching out to them for? They're the ones that's going to destroy you. Why, why would you reach out to them for help, but you won't reach out to me? So he says in verse 14 or 13, he says, he's not able to cure or heal your wound, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one will rescue. God says, I'm the one who has the ability to bring judgment or mercy, but you're not talking to me. I'm dry rot in your life. You just want me out. You want me to be away from you. And so the Lord is saying, do you remember, do you even remember where you go to find help? And so verse 15, he says, phrase of promise, I will return again to my place. So the Lord, like he's withdrawing. 
Okay, he's withdrawing his hand from the nation. I will withdraw again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. Now, while you're thinking about that, think about the battle of Armageddon, the battle of Gog and Magog, when the nations of the world are arrayed against the nation of Israel, Israel is in great distress. They look upon him whom they have pierced. They mourn as one mourns for an only son. Who's their rescuer that day? It's Jesus. He says, I will return to my place until you acknowledge your guilt. I'm a sinner. And then earnestly seek me. And then they will find me. And this is the promise. Uh, this is the promise that the Lord gives. That gets us through chapter 5. We should probably get out there before the kids destroy everything else. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for an opportunity to, to just see the parallels in, in the Bible with the judgments of the Old Testament and, and our own history. And Lord, we know where our help comes from. So God, may we be men and women who are quick to turn our eyes to you to call upon your name, to ask you, what, what would you have me do? How can I be engaged? How can I be a part of, of ministering the truth of God to my, to my neighborhood, to my, my town, to the place where I live? How can I be salt and light for you, Lord Jesus, that uh, there would be uh, people having a knowledge of God in the midst of all this idolatry and turmoil there would be a witness, a witness that is calling people to repent and believe. God, may you be glorified and magnified as we put our hope, our trust in you and your deliverance and your ability to do beyond all we can ask or imagine. Lord, we thank you for just the truth that your word declares. And we ask God that you be glorified in this place. We want to honor you. In all the things that we say and do, we want the things, the choices that we make, uh, the things that we do, Lord, we want them all to uh, beckon us unto you, Lord, that you would be glorified, that you would be magnified, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.